As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? For it would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over the Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. 
The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Good evening, my friends. It's wonderful to be here with you on this evening as we remember God's saving deeds of the past and look forward to his saving deeds to come. The Israelites were terrified, understandably so. They were trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. It's probably the most powerful army in the world at that point. Now we know the story of the events leading up to this, how the Israelites as a people had been called by God out of slavery toward the Promised Land and how Moses had been called to lead them. And God had done amazing signs in the land of Egypt, wreaking a lot of havoc, but sparing the Israelites in the process. So now they're at this point in their journey. God is calling them out of slavery, and suddenly it looks like all is lost. It looks like whatever God has called them to, the promised land, is suddenly impossible. At this point in our church year, at this wonderful moment, we're perched between the crucifixion and the resurrection, right on the cusp of the resurrection of Jesus. We can imagine how the disciples felt right at this moment. We know how the story ends. The disciples at this moment did not. They also had been called by God in such a powerful way to give their lives to Jesus, to become his disciples, ultimately to change the whole world. But at this moment, after giving their whole lives to this cause, it appeared that all had been lost. Jesus, the one to redeem Israel, had just been murdered. We can imagine how these disciples felt. Had God really brought them this far just for it to come to this, for it to come to naught? We know how this story ends. Indeed, in our own lives, we are also on a journey called by God. And there are moments in our own journey as we attempt to live out this call that can be pretty scary. God calls us out of our comfort zone. And there are moments of darkness and uncertainty on this journey 
And on this night, as we remember God's saving deeds of the past and we look forward to the resurrection, we can take heart from these stories. Let this inform and fill our faith. And let us remember God's saving deeds also in our own lives. When I was in college, I had a rather unexpected experience of conversion to Christianity. A powerful, life-changing event in my life, and I fell in love with the study of religion. But I didn't have a very practical plan about how that was going to translate into a job. At all. <laughs> so when I graduated from Oberlin College, I figured I would just figure it out as I went along. And then that year, September 11th, happened, and it fell on pretty hard times. It was very hard to find a job. I took a data entry job, ended up getting carpal tunnel, and it was like one thing after the other. It was a very difficult and dark time in my life. So finally, I was unemployed, I was broke, I had a BA in religion that I wasn't able to do anything with, it seemed like. And it was like, God, have you really brought me this far just for this? Why? So I felt just movement in my spirit that I had to do something to move forward, to continue this calling. So I applied to Divinity School. And I remember when I got the packet from Harvard Divinity School, the thick packet, I knew there was some good news in there. That was one of the most exciting moments of my life. And after that excitement sort of settled in, I had another moment of, I would almost call it terror. <laughs> Not only was I undertaking a huge thing going to Divinity School, uh, but I couldn't really use a computer. I had pretty severe carpal tunnel. Just using a computer at all caused me pain. So I realized I had really no idea how I was going to get through Divinity School without using a computer. So I was talking to my mom about this. She has a wonderful way of comforting me in these times. And she said, well, God got you into this situation. Now God's going to get you out. <laughs> and I think another way of saying that is, God hasn't brought me this far just to drop me off here. Indeed, it was true. I did get through divinity school. I did a lot of physical therapy. I learned Reiki. I got voice activation software. My physical injury actually ended up being no problem in getting through divinity school. Her saying that to me was this profound reassurance that if God's calling me to something, God is going to provide the way to get there. And as we remember these stories of salvation, and as we look forward to Jesus' resurrection, let us be filled with the same reassurance. In our own journey, there are certainly times of darkness and doubt. If we attempt to follow the call of Jesus, it's going to be difficult at times. He's going to push us out of our comfort zone. But we know how this story ends. We know that the resurrection is real after the crucifixion. May this encourage us not only in the hardest times, certainly then, but also when times are good, when things seem to be going quite well, when we're comfortable. Because I believe that God doesn't really call us to be comfortable for very long. <laughs> He's always nudging us out of our comfort zone, nudging us to give a little bit more of ourselves, our time, our talent, our resources. How are we called today and in this new year to live out our walk with God? May we really absorb this moment as we move into the glorious resurrection of Jesus. May it fill us with courage to live out our call with Jesus in a new way. Thanks be to God. Amen.
does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroad, she takes her stand. Besides the gate, in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she tried, cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, endowing with wealth those who love me and filling their treasuries. To those without sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Yesterday, we remember the crucifixion and death, and tomorrow we will rejoice in the resurrection. But today, we are suspended in that place where nothing is definite. We are not where we were, which was a hard place to be, but well-defined and well-known. We are not where we will be, which we think will be happy and even peaceful. In between the known and the hoped for, is that place of restless ambiguity. For some of us, restless ambiguity is not as bad as known misery and not as uncertain as future hopefulness. It's a place we can be which doesn't make many demands and doesn't carry much risk. For others of us, restless ambiguity might just as well be some kind of hell in which nothing is real and nothing is accomplished. We do have that feeling between the death of someone we love and the time when we recover from the grief. It's a never-never land, sometimes looking back at the known past and other times looking forward to the hoped-for future, but not really landing in either place. Never-never land is what happens when we lose a job or a relationship or even an idea that we have loved. The disciples were in that never-never land on Holy Saturday, and the people to whom the book of Proverbs, some of which we have just heard, were there as well. Those people lived in a society of fixed economy and highly stratified class. Changes were highly unlikely. To those people, the poetry of Proverbs came as a means of coping with the in-betweenness of their lives. Neither the darkness of yesterday, before they were the people of God, nor the sun of tomorrow, when they will be the people of the Messiah. When we are in the holy Saturdays of our lives, restless and blue, 
It's hard to hear what the wisdom in Proverbs has to say. Be quiet, it says, and listen. Ask yourself what it is that you might be doing that is getting in the way of hearing what the Spirit is calling you to do. Holy Saturday has nothing to do with our plans and our priorities. It has everything to do with God's mysterious way of working. Hearing the calling of the Spirit means getting all those depressing, anxious thoughts out of your mind and just waiting for the Spirit to move inside you. The Spirit is always moving, but fear and anxiety and arrogance get in the way of hearing what she is saying. Wisdom says, walk in the way of insight. Insight comes when we get as quiet as we can for as long as it takes to experience the movement of grace inside us. It takes as long as it takes. We can get better with practice, but we cannot cause the Spirit to tell us what to do next. The Holy Saturdays of life are here to help us see who we really are when we give up any idea that we're in charge. At that moment, when we surrender to the call of the Spirit, our resurrection has begun. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by my spirit of the Lord and set me down in the, amid the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will say, lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, 
These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people, I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O, o my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. Every year when I hear this reading, I feel really sorry for Ezekiel. He gets pulled into a place where nothing's alive. And the Lord tells him to start prophesy, prophesying to nothing that's there. It's a dry valley, dry bones. But he does what the Lord commanded him. And we see that through his prophecy, these bodies start to rebuild. But the bodies do not live until the breath is put in them. For me, this is an interesting metaphor for how we are to live our lives. There are so many prayers and stories within the Bible that talk about, breathe on me, breath of God. The Lord breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breath is what makes us move. Breath is what keeps us alive. So what does this story speak to us tonight? What does this story speak to us in this candlelit church the day before Easter? It speaks to us that even when we are in darkness, there is light. And that light comes as the breath of God in our lives. So where do you see yourselves moving from this place? Are you headed out into the world to be with family, be with friends? Are you maybe heading out to go catch brunch somewhere? That's all good. But what happens after that? How are we living our lives in the world where we go out into the world and sharing the message of God? It is through our voices. It is through our actions. And it's those actions and voices that require breath in order to do them. So as we move forward this evening, may we continue to pray for God's breath in our lives, that we may go out and share the good news, the resurrection, 
and that we can put our bodies to work in the world. Are there any who are devout lovers of God? Let them enjoy this beautiful, bright festival. Are there any who are grateful servants? Let them rejoice and enter into the joy of their Lord. Are there any weary from fasting? Let them now receive their due. If any have toiled from the first hour, let them receive their reward. If any have come after the third hour, let them with gratitude join in the feast. Those who arrived after the sixth hour, let them not doubt, for they shall not be shortchanged. Those who have tarried until the ninth hour, let them not hesitate, but let them come too. And those who arrived only at the eleventh hour, let them not be afraid by reason of their delay. For the Lord is gracious and receives the last, even as the first. The Lord gives rest to those who come at the eleventh hour, even as to those who toiled from the beginning. To one and all, the Lord gives generously. The Lord accepts the offering of every work. The Lord honors every deed and commends their intention. Let us all enter into the joy of the Lord. First and last alike, receive your reward. Rich and poor, rejoice together. Conscientious and lazy, celebrate the day. You who have kept the fast and you who have not, rejoice this day, for the table is bountifully spread. Feast royally, for the calf is fatted. Let no one go away hungry. Partake all of the banquet of faith. Enjoy the bounty of the Lord's goodness. Let no one grieve being poor, for the universal reign has been revealed. Let no one lament persistent failings, for forgiveness has risen from the grave. Let no one fear death. For the death of our Savior has set us free. The Lord has destroyed death by enduring it. The Lord vanquished hell when he descended into it. The Lord put hell in turmoil even as it tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he said, You, O hell, were placed in turmoil when he encountering you below. Hell was in turmoil having been eclipsed. Hell was in turmoil having been mocked. Hell was in turmoil having been destroyed. Hell was in turmoil having been abolished. Hell was in turmoil having been made captive. Hell grasped a corpse and met God. Hell seized earth and encountered heaven 
hell took what it saw and was overcome by what it could not see. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are cast down. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is set free. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To Christ be glory and power forever and ever. My brothers and sisters, say with me, Amen. 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 Then let us greet each other in the peace of the risen Christ. May the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at oursaviourmv.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R MV for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.